Alrighty, and we're live. Cool. Welcome, Chuck. How we doing, man? Good. Let's let's get you banned from Facebook. Yeah, let's. Yeah, just. How much some... horrible shit can I say? Is there a limit? There, there is. It's like inside of the cancelable stuff, but like mm -hmm. I also have friends that drop all of the worst words. Right. And like they they won't do them on my streams, but like we also know that they've got to get the horrible things out off camera. So, so. Okay. I'll cut it if if it goes too hard, or I'll bleep it or whatever. And there we'll might be a lot of editing in this podcast. <laughs> we can run with that. We can run with that. We can run with that. You know. Yeah, I didn't I, have a question. I wanted to ask that one live, though. I didn't. I didn't want to spoil. Oh yeah, it no, me. no. <laughs> Figure yourself out. You're not at you're not at any of the open mics that we go to that have limitations. No, there's se, uh, yeah. there's one tonight that I refuse to go to because I will not support that horse shit. <laughs> I figure if you need a safe space that's that, like, okay, I've done mics. There's certain words I don't say at Wise Guys. There's certain mm -hmm. words I don't say uh, at Alliance Theater. Mm -hmm. But the definitions are very clear. I know what's expected, but this other mic, which I won't even. Not going to name it right now. No, be, yeah, I'm not even going to give it right any. Well, I don't care about, the, I'm just not going to give it any props. Um, okay. I don't want them getting any publicity, even if only four people watch this because it's me. But, <laughs> but no, I just figure if, if the space needs to be that safe, you probably shouldn't be doing comedy. It's like it's I, I, well, that's where I think we've talked about that in terms of like the Alliance Open Mic Theater. Um, feel free to take your shoes off if you want. By oh, the way. hell yeah. I do that on stage. Actually, people don't ever notice. Is it just more comfortable for you? Or what? No, I start. Well, it is now. I started doing it because it was uncomfortable. I was at a wise guy's mic. I don't know if it right. was a Tuesday or Wednesday, but um, I guess it doesn't matter. There was a comic in the back of the room that was stressing on he if he wore the right shoes that night. Right. And I told him, bro, I go up there without shoes, and they won't even notice. And so I did it, and nobody did. And, you had uh, just socks on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. bare feet people would notice, I think. I think they would notice bare feet. Yeah. I want to try that one, so, but my no, toenails are horrible. run that. Like. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it made me uncomfortable, and so I was like, I need to keep doing this. Uh -huh. Now it's starting to be comfortable, so I'm thinking maybe I should either go up there with bare feet or start wearing my combat boots again because those wouldn't feel comfortable now. I don't know. I just Even this chain is like it started as a joke, but it makes me uh, – uncomfortable is it just too much it's too much bling and it's obviously not real but yeah it, yeah, like, yeah it takes me out of my comfort zone up there and it's, you just like to be like much more of a dress down kind of guy very like less jewelry less uh, things I'm, on you or what I'm, i dress pretty relaxed but i like i'm comfortable looking nice but this is ultra flashy yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. everybody know there's no way i can afford something that's real even if it look real from far back and right right so it's even cheesier and i i to me, it's funny at the same time. It's actually uh, Nick Lucero. I think he got this when he was in high school, and he'd wear it on stage from time That just looks time. like a beat set from, like, a drama department yeah, or something, you I, know, and I, uh, yeah, a Mardi Gras thing. He loved the thing, but I, I wore it one night, just put it on, messing around, and he was like, bro, you can have that. I was like, oh, cool. It's like a $10 piece probably or something. If like that. that, yeah. Or yeah, he stole it from high school, basically. He might have stolen it from somebody. Now, now Nick Lucero, I, I've seen him a few times. I saw him, you know, because I think I've told uh, you, but I, I've been in Utah for, like, two, three years, and I was even seeing i think i remember when we came in like october of like 2019 or 2020 when we were thinking about moving out here to salt lake and we went down to wise guys and saw like a wednesday night show and i'd like to think i saw you then i know i saw one guy this taller guy that was that was gay i believe and he had just a fantastic set that i think he was taking around the road or something like that if, oh. I, if I saw him i'd be able to identify wasn't a mexican kid 
No, he was okay. more fair skinned, more white in his skin tone at least. Mm. He seemed like a white kid. I I, I don't know, but yeah. his his set was great. It and definitely I think... wasn't. I was thinking maybe Brandon Medina Cruz, but it definitely wasn't. No, him. no, no. That dude is no. super Mexican. And I think I definitely saw us, um, Scott, who was just on Kill Tony. Yeah, yeah, Scott, Scott Fillmore. He was he was more just starting at the time. I think. Yeah, I think he was. Dorman at Wise Guys. Yeah, when I I would if. You would only see me in 2019 if it was in December. Right. I did two December mics, and I did January 1st on a Wednesday. I just on the stand. And that's by. when you started, basically. Yeah, but I kind of, I only count, it's weird. I, I say I've been doing it about two years because I completely ate my balls that night yeah, on yeah. a Wednesday. I bombed the first three times, but the first two times I thought I killed. You get them little courtesy yeah. laughs, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the man. No. And uh, then I bombed hard enough that it's it's my worst bomb to this day. Yeah. And usually they say there's no such thing as bombing at an open mic, but on Wednesday there is. No, because Wednesday is like a main show. There's, it's, yeah, it's, it's almost really like a mini it, showcase. Yeah, there's, it really yeah. is. It's not even true truly an open mic because you have to get on a list and well and that list has gotten so populated because Salt lake has just gotten enough comics yeah that, like i think I, I think clay has basically like signed up repeatedly for weeks and just hasn't gotten it's on. uh it's to the point they used to try to get they still do try to get everybody on every four to six weeks but they've got it's become so popular i don't think they're at the beginning of the year, this is a, anybody who happens to be watching that is trying to get on that list, just politely tell them the last time you were on in every email. They send this out at the beginning of every year. It's yeah. uh, um, basically politely say to let, let us know the last time you were on so we can try to get everybody out in four to six weeks. But they have this priority order that they go through that right. leaves very few spots, really, because they have the um, – they have uh, uh, – employ new they try and get new comics on somebody yeah. even if even if you're just new to the wednesday if, even if it's your first time ever up going on stage and you're just if, fucking around if it's on. your first time ever going on stage that's the top priority the second priority is first time at a wednesday um then it's uh employees then it's um uh anybody from out of town that's a touring comic an actual working comic right then probably i don't know the exact order but just then an out of town open micer will take priority um uh, this. then they have the headliners like Wes Austin and, and yeah, uh, I'm the, not the local legends in a way. Yeah, basically the guys who who headline the Wise Guys clubs regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have the regulars list to basically those of us who aren't regular headliners yet, but yeah. they have us on regular. And those then, that are on the grind on the local the local chain. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, it's it's not enough. I don't know how they determine who gets becomes a regular. Right. But um, I know when I became, I, I shouldn't have been regular this early on. Yeah. Well, that's where that's, that is actually, that'd be like me, Matt tribe, people like that. And right. Then, and then it's like, whatever is left. And, uh, and they're getting, so you've got about 35 spots total with all those things I just mentioned. And they got about 120 people applying each week here and then uh also and that's by like three minutes each if that so yeah, it's, like five yeah it's, minutes. Three, it's really it's five three. minutes a person with like getting them on getting them off like it doesn't take a maybe, minute to walk on stage no maybe three and a half to four minutes a person yeah. with getting on and off and um, at 400 what's that gonna be 480 minutes so that's like that is like eight hours oh the, the mic itself well yeah. you got three minutes times 30 yeah be, if you were gonna try to get like a whole a oh whole, yeah yeah if you got to try to get all you got, of them on, yeah, yeah you're there for a whole day's no, shift yeah yeah so they're 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 they try to keep it to thirty to thirty five spots it's usually thirty five they'll maybe allow six yeah. 
standby people and they try and get the standby on. I've seen the standby get cut to a minute or two before. But so the, and and it's the same in Vegas. They have about 120 people applying. Yeah, and that week. just that's where I that's where in some part of my mind understanding that like Wise Guys has like I think at least two Salt Lake locations. There's not one down in Provo, is there? They have one. Uh, they've got uh, West Jordan. Yeah, they got West Jordan. They've downtown got Salt Lake. Salt Lake, which is the flagship club out of all yep. of them. They have an Ogden club. Right. Um. Way and then uh, they have the. Uh, it's not a separate club. They just opened the Rickles room inside us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they took out the Cheddar Burger. Yeah, there they and... have. Um, they have the downtown Las Vegas location or the Arts District, they call it. Right. And then they're going to have the South Valley on September seventh. And then I don't know when, but there's one in Boise going to come online. So it's expanding, but there's only open mics at the Salt Lake location, the downtown yeah. Las Vegas location. They're going to run one at the South Valley location in Las Vegas. But right now, from what I hear, the plans are for that to be just be um, about every month, maybe. They're just going to see how that goes and if there's enough to... Yeah, because they, like, the unfortunate thing for the entertainment industry is that you're trying to identify what you can do Sunday through Saturday Yeah, in the limited seven days a week. And part of me, in the spirit of stand-up, and providing a lot of good opportunities is like why can we do an open mic like on a thursday at jordan landing yeah you know? i don't know if they've tried that before i heard during COVID. oh that's i never finished saying why i don't say i have that many years because I, yeah. I i after that bomb it was so bad i started trying to write a new set to i didn't want to feel was that, that the rodney norman one yeah it yeah was so yeah he was hosting that night and i bombed so but usually now rodney didn't know me at the time i it was the first time i'd ever seen yeah, Rodney no, norman but usually Rodney will bust your balls a little bit if you bomb yeah. uh, face-to-face. It was so bad, Rodney didn't – nobody would look me in no, the eye after no, that. No. And Rodney didn't even <laughs> – he didn't even try – it almost seemed like he was steering clear of me. He didn't want to yeah. have to hear the questions. It, no one wants to bury a body while it's yeah, still breathing. Yeah, you know yeah, saying? no kidding. And uh, so then – so I, I was – living in a car doing door dashing so there were some weeks i couldn't afford to try and go to another tuesday or wednesday mm-hmm. but i was just writing this set and procrastinating because i i wanted to have a tight and then covid hit and i didn't know wise guys opened again after a month so i was out like 18 months i was out till like june 20th were you not talking to anyone in like the comic community because i'd only done three open mics i didn't right. i didn't have any real friends yet i was yeah. just I'm listening to national guys on podcasts and stuff talking about everything's closed. And yeah, so that's all. Like, that's your only info that you. Yeah, have. so I was like, yeah, everything's closed. And then somebody told me, no, Wise Guys is open. It's been open for like 17. You thought it was secretly Florida-like. Yeah, and, yeah. And how it treated COVID. Yeah, and, and I can appreciate. And I just that. thought Salt Lake is more. I mean, I hate that the whole thing broke down along conservative liberal lines. Yeah, no, because it, it, it's I, not a situation that I, been I just assume Salt Lake is actually a liberal city. For those of you that don't live in Utah, believe it or not, it's a very yeah, yeah. progressive city. And I was like, "There's no way they're easing any COVID restrictions." Or and and nah, wise guys just had the social distancing. So I was like June tw- uh, July twentieth of twenty twenty one is when I came back. And so I, I count like a month before you were, COVID. So you were you were away from comedy for how long then? From like those first three to yeah, from how many months? It's probably seventeen, eighteen months. From January first, so a year and a half. You just January first, twenty twenty, to July twentieth of twenty twenty one. That's insane. So you spent a year and a half. Like this is where this is where I think about like the big lessons that I had to take to be able to go to open mics. And like my issue was never the it was not obviously the getting on stage and being in front of the village that that existential fear that everyone has because like the number one fear for people is public speaking second one's death 
Yeah. Um, but what I realized is that I was, I think I talked to you about this, but like going there and having the audience as your enemy is like natural sometimes. And it depends on how you frame it. But the other problem I had is because I wasn't connecting with anyone. Uh-huh. And that just affects me as an extrovert. Like I, I need to be talking to people. Yeah. And, and so when I finally just took care of the talking to everyone thing, now the comics weren't my enemy anymore in my head and the audience, I could just deal with the audience because yeah. the audience is just what you make of it. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm highly extroverted. I had no clue how terrified I was going to be doing that first open mic. Like, cause you were doing it by yourself and were you in a similar headspace to like what I've described for like my experience? Cause I, I went to a few open mics, like two Wednesdays total in the last two years and then several Tuesdays. Uh huh. And I, 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 can't say i ever got distinct laughs or anything out of any bits other than just accidental pity laughs or anything like that yeah that's what i got my first two was yeah pity laughs and i yeah. didn't know that that's what it was but but it just seems like what was your fear of doing those mics related to anything like not having it like who the enemies are in the crowd like did you have a no you have a negative narrative around the comics was it just the pure fear of getting on stage i started or? to realize a day or two before that i was scared so i had done um I, back in the 90s, I was in uh, a rap group that was getting national play on the radio, but the underground shows, because that's basically all there was back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd been on stage in front of thousands of people, and then I, um, uh, one my, the recovery group that I'm a part of, right, I, right, right. I was so used to doing public I'd always done public speaking. So when you go to the group and talk? Well, or... not only that, I... I'd get invited different places around the nation to speak about my recovery. Right. And you're expected, it's not like a stand-up routine, but you're expected to be funny up there throwing some jokes. Yeah, just, and I just thought, to be a good one-way conversation. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a cakewalk. I thought I was going to get up there and murder, and then after everybody was going to be like, yo, how long you been doing comedy? And I was going to be like, oh, it's my first time. And right, like, right, right. Oh, my God, he's just a prodigy. flex on him. And especially right before the show, or the open mic, I was outside realizing... I would do almost anything in the world not to go on. It was weird to me because I knew what it was like to be nervous yeah. before going on stage. I didn't know what stage fright was. When people talked about it, it's still weird to me that people are more afraid of public speaking than death. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I had literally had your music to, career just conquered that so much for you. I didn't, I didn't have stage fright before the first time I went on stage, even as a kid. I, I'm nervous, but not real stage fright. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah. I knew what butterflies being nervous was. I did. I knew stage fright was a thing. It was but just, nothing was going to disable. It was you. like a narcissist cannot understand empathy. I could not understand that because I didn't know the emotion, and I knew that emotion before that first open mic. And it, I was it, 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 it reared its head basically. Yeah, I would. I, I would had this distinct thought. I would cut off my left arm to not go on stage right now, but there was another part of me that had to do it. I was like, yeah. there's no, no way I'm backing out. Like no. it was these two different parts of me. And I knew which one was going to win. Um, I was going on stage regardless, but I had never been terrified to go on stage. I didn't take my notes up because I'm the shit and I don't need those. Thirty About 30 seconds in, I lost my place and was like, oh, man, I should have brought my notes on stage. And I was so frozen. The audience had to be like, go get them. So I went back to my table, got the notes, and still thought I crushed that night. It was horrible. Right, right. And, and on top of it, I was doing... Um, I was doing, I knew the secret. They, I knew people were telling the truth when they would say, just be yourself on stage. And it's like an old wrestling trick too. Like that 
there's a lot of parallels between like professional wrestling and comedy. Yeah. It's like don't be a character turn your own personality up to 11 and be that yeah but i thought yeah i know that works but it won't work for me um because i thought if i went up on stage and i was me that they would think i was fake they'd be Mm -hmm. like look at this white guy trying to be black and right and so i literally and i still think most of the jokes i wrote were good but most of those jokes weren't it was almost like i was writing for another comedian it was like because I was trying to do this loser white guy routine, but like, like that's just not the culture I grew up in. I was living in my car. I didn't feel like a loser. Yeah, I just was like, but I was trying to do this routine that had been done to death by a million different white guys who were turning their personality up to eleven, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm like, nobody's gonna know. There's everything in my family. It's obvious how white I am. Is it and after that bomb and sitting out so long in COVID and, and by that point realizing I had bombed all three times, not just the last time. Like you finally have reality. Watching those old clips going, Oh man, you were shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, I just finally went, man, I'm fuck it. I'm just going to go up there and do me. Yeah. And no bullshit murdered my first night after COVID. And I also had the luxury of off and on throughout COVID working on this bit. So, so did you have those epiphanies of like, being an 11 version of yourself on stage like was that leading because this sounds like the first open mic after the 18 month break right yeah so you did you like spend those 18 months like reflecting on those three bombs off and, and then, on yeah off, like yeah in passing and but when did you did you acquire that mindset of i'm just gonna go up there as an 11 like the day before the i, I don't i knew what? i knew that i knew that saying and i knew it was true i, I don't think i was consciously like turn your own personality up to but what the literal thoughts in my head were, were, if it's not the exact words or something very similar to fuck it, I'm just going to go up there and do me because what I was doing before wasn't working. And, Mm. and so why not? Like I can't control it. All I can do is be me. And if they think I'm fake and and then after that, looking back, it's like, Oh, they might not have consciously known you were being fake before, but they knew something wasn't right. It's why I wasn't connecting because I wasn't me. Yeah. And well, that's where, that's where like in I keep trying to bring this up to other comics that are as new as I am like I'm you know two three months in with twice a week so uh, most of the legend most of the legends of our time would say you need to go as often as you can every night and I just can't do that because I've always split myself up, yeah so I'm not bored but what I end up thinking about is that you need to figure out some there's some form of genuine performance that occurs yeah and even if you're saying things that aren't true. It's it, it's it's yeah. weird. It's weird because I because you know you, I think you've seen have you seen my Hulu ad bit? I'm not sure. It's I don't the think one. I have. So I, I have no problem like linking this. It's my first. Well, and it might be that I've seen you know how when you're sitting at the table. Hell, oh, I'm, you're just you're zoned out. Well, or someone's talking to you, and yeah, half yeah, the yeah. time I'm guilty of being the comic that's talking in your. Oh, ear. that's where I've for, talked in your ear at open mics while you're trying to watch. Where, no, dude, that's where at midway. You and I just need to get to the back of the fucking room or watch yeah. guys on a Tuesday when mm-hmm. you're not hosting. Just back by the bar. Bro, I used to be so good. I was sitting in the front row and watch and laugh not, at anything that was remotely funny, and now I'm just like. Fuck! I can only I can only take so much. I I don't have that issue because I haven't gone to enough. Yeah. But my thing is much what I did last Sunday is like I have nothing but ideas for the comedy that's in front of me. If I have like if I have if I have plus one ideas for you, yeah. Some people it's just like, dude, you have to figure like, um, Ricky, uh, 
him and I just met a few weeks ago. Uh, Ricky's the name I'm coming to. Ricky Rice. Yeah, Ricky yeah, Rice. Okay. I know he's he's only been doing it a few years himself, or not too long. Yeah, not too long. I don't know. I don't know if it's year and a half, two years, four years. But, but... when I, in any case, when I see him or Nami on stage, and like, I don't have notes to give them because there's something about them where they're just an animal while they're up there. Yeah. You know. Oh, Ricky did. He came. He, I remember his first open mic was at Ice House after I. Mm-hmm. After COVID, after I'd come back. Yeah. Um, Nami, that motherfucker. Dude, he's an art. He's that an art dude form. is, he is he's like actually a the, natural. Him and, him, and, him and Spencer are the two scariest invites for this podcast for me right now, actually. Oh, yeah. They just are. Like, I got no problem being like, like, because Nami and I have met a few times, and there's that, it's probably more on me, there's that awkward, stray, gay energy or something like that. Uh-huh. And we don't know how to deal with each other, even though we've been, we've been cordial, we've been polite and nice to each other, but. He probably he doesn't know much about me, and I don't know much about him. But he's such a fascinating specimen as 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 an artist and someone that like purposely dresses like a seventies porno yeah character oh, like, and the hair do what do the do, hair and everything. And Nami's the nicest dude in the world. He seems like he's such a sweet. I've told him I've got an actual cardboard cutout of him in my room. I think he f- posted with that. Recently yeah, yeah. He 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 did it as a bit one night where nobody thought he was there and they were playing a tape recording of him and then he showed up on stage. And I was like, bro, I gotta have that. He's like, man, it cost me seventy dollars. I was like. I was still living in my car and couldn't afford it. I was like, here's your $70. Fuck it. That's mine. <laughs> and you got to sign it, bitch. But I've told him before, like, I don't usually get jealous of comics, but I was like, there's a certain amount of jealousy with me because you're so fearless on stage. Yeah. Like, I was afraid to sit in silence when I was new. Yeah. And that dude has bits that are like 30 seconds of silence. Yeah. And and counting on the audience is going to get this eventually. Well, he puts the onus on the audience. Yeah, like he does. The la- like I think the last time we were in the main Alliance Theater and you were hosting because Spencer was out, Nami did nothing but crowd work. But he is basically like challenging them and maybe flipping their words for goofiness. Yeah. But there's something where he is he he makes himself the alpha of the room for in the moment. Yeah. And then he's just and like it's, it's even funnier because he. Does he does not look like an well, alpha at all? He doesn't. He does He's shorter he, than he's he, like your height, right? He's like, shorter than me, even I think. What is he? Five four, five six. I'm thinking about five five five. Yeah, four. five five. I, I mean, he's a tiny little motherfucker. He could but, be my height, and but he, the persona he puts, I think. Oh he's no, shorter it, than it me. fills. It, he yeah. has Spencer's height when he's on stage, basically. Yeah, what, he's like six just, two, six three, or something. Yeah, but to do, and he has he he has a background in improv, so yeah, he's already well, he was in that he was in that to... he was in that theater performance that was happening in the the other side of the IKEA building. So not yeah. done nothing but performance. He, work, he, my, I yeah, he. I think that's why that fear isn't there because I I don't know how far it goes back, but he has he he'd been doing improv a lot longer than stand up. But mm-hmm. most people who come from improv to stand up, they don't have that fear of the crowd, but they just suck. And Nami knows how to write a joke he knows how to adjust the delivery that's fascinating so you're you're that that so i don't want to break this down so i believe there are five types of comedy and one of them is actually bait so you have stand-up which is rehearsed comedy that's supposed to appear off the cuff Mm -hmm. okay second one's improv which is Performed entirely off the cuff, but when done well, looks rehearsed. Yeah. Okay. Third one is sketch comedy, which is written, acted out, like Saturday Night Live comedy. And that's performative, that's actors, that's scenes, that's yeah, that's a little more. And then the fourth one, I, I can't remember right now, 
So it might have been four. But the main one is social comedy. And social comedy, as I categorize it in this theory, is that's when you're hanging out with the boys or your friends or I was just thinking, talking shit with your friends. When you're just talking shit and you're having a lot of fun with it and someone's like, and, and someone takes that, the, wor the worst version is actually someone thinks they're funny enough and then they go up and do stand-up mm -hmm. and then they bomb outright because they don't understand that that social comedy is much more, is, is good because of the years of chemistry with your boys, with your friends, with your girls. And so when you try to take that shit on stage, it doesn't pan out. Well, and it's a different expectation. It, yeah. It's the same thing with improv. I, and I'm sure most stand-ups. Have you done any improv? No. Um, it would probably help me a little bit, but I don't. I I, I hate watching improv, so I it's just not one of my things. And so it's like. Yeah. So, because the uh, what? So do you actually have like early improv improvisers come on to try to do stand up and it doesn't go well? Like what? What have you seen in terms? The, the of problem that? with improv is it's the same with social comedy. To and I don't mm -hmm. know if there's just four categories or just five, but I all those categories this you just named, been my working theory. Yeah, you know I think or all of it sounds legit to me, yeah. but it's there's a formula to stand up. Um, and you kind of know what's there. And, and sometimes, like, I don't mean to sound arrogant. There was things I was doing that I didn't know that I was just natural at. Because I yeah. remember, I've never read a comedy book, but I, I've read a few things here. And I started to read one. And I'm hearing all this stuff about taglines. And I'm like, well, what the fuck is a tag? And so I looked up online, what is a tagline? Yeah. And when I looked it up, I was like, oh, I already do that. Yeah. It was, but they call it like ABC comedy set up punchline or um, print, uh, Jesus Christ set up punchline tag yeah, yeah. and uh, and you don't always have to have the tag but the tag is just like the secondary it's a bonus or laugh once you've yeah. the yeah it's just extra punchlines and yeah. uh, and the rule of threes you know one yeah, punchline yeah. and two tags yeah. um, which doesn't get followed all that often but it, it's a whole and most people don't know that ABC formula exists and mm -hmm. And so the social comedy, it's the same thing in improv. The laughs you're going for are different, and it, a lot of it is truly in the moment. And I'm, I, I do know some improv is like battle rapping too. Like um, back in the, a lot of the battle yeah. raps are prepared now, but back in the day, battle rapping was supposed to be off the cuff completely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but what the little secret was was you had prepackaged lines. This is for the fat guy. This is for the black guy. Well, you'd this written them the... out, but you'd memorize them. Well, you've got you've got lines that are for people that fit certain stereotypes. Yes, yes, that yes. Can yes. look like they in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think improv is a lot like, especially the improv where they all burst into a song. It's like, okay, they're all improv in their way to get to the point where they're gonna sing this funny mm -hmm. song they've already prepared. But it's it's such a different. The people, they are different types of comedy. The people who enjoy improv are not usually this there's not a lot of crossover in those audiences i don't think i th i don't know because that, that's not something i've cared about studying at least a hardcore but again like crowdsource comedy does well with their infused show where a mm -hmm. comic will go on they'll have a comic do a set and then they'll improv something yeah. based on that my experience with improv both as someone that did has done improv lessons at sac back in orlando i did like the first two levels uh me and my wife did and has now done enough comedy to have a taste, a very small taste of stand-up. Um, watching improv and performing it is like a full-body experience. Yeah, stand-up is not right, and that has far more to do with when I've watched, when me and my wife watched like one one episode of Middle Ditch, Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix, which is just them two guys doing improv on a stage for like an hour. 
and I see all the magic of improv occurring, but by the end of it, I was exhausted because you are because yeah. paying attention to every little thing that's happening is a part of the experience. And so you as you as the improvising performer have to be able to track all those things because the audience is tracking them. And so there's just such a level of detail inside of improv that makes it such a full body thing that learning how to do it, it I think is is a greater thing for people than actually watching it much like how stand-up is it's like how do i put this improv is less popular because it's such a demanding form of entertainment to enjoy um even though the benefits of of doing it and learning it just in pure life in terms of anxiety being able to go up on stage being able to think creatively and openly and not be limited like those are the good things but the reason stand-up probably just kicks it out of the park in terms of popularity over and over again is because the consistency is there somehow. Like, you're, you're getting the same character on stage every time, just with maybe with different jokes, and it's not as nearly demanding of people's attention. Yeah. I, want it, I, I would push back on that a little because I think what do you when, got? when comedy is really... Or when you're losing a crowd, mm-hmm. it's because you're not commanding their attention or mm. um i have jokes that are dependent upon them really really having them and paying attention yeah or they just don't make sense by the end uh, especially the, the most recent one i wrote it really requires that they remember and get the first two punchlines when the swerve at the end is i do the same punchline and i think it's going to be something different or yeah um yeah, it's, it's so, just, yeah. There is that level well, of I ha- yeah. I have yeah. one that, it, 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 and there is you do improv on stage. I stopped early on writing jokes out word for word. At first, I had to do that. Yeah, and now I bullet point and kind of go up there and riff because you sometimes say things in the moment that it's like, oh, that should be in the joke. Like yeah. I, I was doing a newer bit with an older bit I'd done, and I and I um I do this bit about getting my 23 and me back and turns out I'm 8.3%. And I, and I've just talked about the way I look and the way I talk. And mm-hmm. I think I'm going to say I'm 8.3% black or something like that. And yeah, yeah. 8.3% and a pause. And I say gay and they just yeah, yeah. fall out. And, and then I go off on that for a while. Well, because you've set such, I love that. Cause it's such a switch of expectation. Yeah. Cause, cause it's the swerve that's yeah, required swerve in stand up. Cause, Cause we don't have, like in, in the in the mind, I think of the public, gay is not actually a tied to ancestral history or, or genetics. Yeah, yet. even though it very much is, but it's it's uh, not it's, maybe the ancestral, but yeah. it very much is. There's a genetic component yeah. there for sure. Yeah. And uh, it, but, but the yeah, the moment you pull because everyone goes to ancestry.com for for cultural background. Yeah, for, yeah, for geolocation background. It's like, and a suck dick. Like yeah, the, it's such a fun. It's such a fun. But the, of the thing I, I that was a newer joke at the time, and I. I was pulling out older material at the same time because you got to work on that because you think mm-hmm. you don't like the back of your hand and you don't. And I was just, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. It was probably, I think it was a Wednesday. And yeah. uh, I don't know why I keep differentiating between those two. They're in the same goddamn room now. Um, but it was, uh, I, I go into this other joke where I'm talking about, uh, it's based on a true story. One of my friends um Tell, tell me about why if you masturbate you're gay because of mm-hmm. male hand manipulating your genitals yeah, and yeah, that's a homosexual yeah. there's a whole, there's a whole and like, I go shit post on I look him dead in the eye and said Leroy I'm gay and in that moment on stage I realized I had just told this other joke where I'm 8.3% gay and now I'm trying to tell him I'm gay <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I just 
in the moment I went, this before I found out I was only 8.3%. And they right. started laughing again. And I went, okay, that needs to stay. Yeah. Now yeah, that's yeah. a regular part of it. And I always make sure that joke comes after mm-hmm. the other one at some point. But it's, it's a point. It's, it's something it's world where world building in a way. Yeah. If they're not paying attention, they won't get the call back. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't know. It's funny. In my mind, I was just going to come on here and say a bunch of horrible shit and be funny and i like this that we're talking about the technical aspects well i Uh, it's something that i like i've been listening to rogan and tom and bert and such for a long time and they never get to talking about like the nuts and bolts of how they like do it like no one because it's such an ethereal art form it's you have to go person by person and and to like learn how they do it yeah and then figure out and then start doing it yourself and then figure out what's going to be yeah and it's weird because there are these formulas but there's no absolute rules the, the the swerve is so important. Like, yeah. It, well, and, the, the rule I heard, I forget who gave this to the person that I heard it from, but there needs to be surprise and a victim in like every joke. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I, I and, and there are exceptions. Um, I want to say the comedian's name was Jack Allen. My dad used to always tell me when I was a kid mm-hmm. is this old saying that uh, says a, a comic says funny things, but a comedian says things funny. Yes. And I the whole that. thing implied is a comedian. And, and I... I'm a little bit of a snob, but anybody who's had the balls to do an open mic, I will call them a comic. But there's, I won't call you a comedian until I don't know what the line is, but it's something that there's in, some point of the is like, a, is it is it level of consistently funny? Is it them doing going on the road and doing most, paid gigs? No, it's not like any sort of accomplishment. Do but they I need th- a Netflix special. I, no, no, no. To like I, meet I your think, expectations. I, no, it's more like. <laughs> The delivery. Okay, like I'll give you an example. Now, Nick Lucero has punchlines and he has mm-hmm. swerves, but Nick Lucero is a pure comedian and he always has been, probably from his first open mic, um, because he can say things on stage with no punchline. It's he a just fun, is funny. It's I, a fun, I, and he's I've seen him. He says it funny. Was he hosting recently? A few yeah, yeah, ago? he was. Yeah, because yeah. he he hosted the week after you did. But I remember, yeah, he just gets up and he's just kind of fucking around, just lazily talking, but it's still goofy. Yeah, and he does. he's a big, likable He can guy. do the social, con- it's because, like, Nick and I, we, like, it's not a hobby, it's not a career, and this isn't original for me, I heard another comic say it on another podcast, we live this, like, yeah. we're comedians 24, and we're always talking shit with each other. Do you actually run his Instagram account? I did until... Maybe three weeks ago, okay, I, uh, I gave him the pat, and, and that's why nothing's been posted on it because the uh, fat was... lazy bastard hasn't done a goddamn thing with it. But he he wanted to take it over, and he just hasn't gone. He doesn't on know it. how to actualize it yet. No, no. I, cause are you two just like broed up basically as just like a, are you the Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer? Something. It's or so something? weird. I, I'd be awesome if we were. Um, yeah, I met him. Right after I came back, Dario, I was at an ice house, Mike, and Dario was like, I think this is the funniest motherfucker in Salt Lake. Come to his birthday, Rose, to hand me the flyer. Right. right. And uh, I didn't know who he was. I think I'd heard the name. but um, Nick Lucero. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get to the roast. He doesn't remember the first time we met because he was so trash. Like, he was, he was drunk, and I don't know on whatever else, but I met him outside he comes walking down the street outside the roast just fucking smashed and walks up to me and he goes you're chuck fury and i go yeah he said i'm honored you came to my roast and shook my hand and went inside <laughs> and i'm what i love is like 
the energy you're giving out just by telling the story is just eliciting of the, the funny about that. I feel like he, I, I feel like I'm seeing right now the smile that was on your face. When oh, he's like, you're Chuck Fury. Yeah. Like this opening line just brings you such a, and, yeah. And he was like, it is so, it, and like, I was just, I hadn't even done my first page show yet, but yeah. I was starting to get a little reputation among the comics. And then, yeah. uh, but I was just leaving town to go to the wise guys opening in Vegas. And this was, like I said, I wasn't doing paid shows. This was just open mics. I was yeah. going to go to the wise guys opening, uh, the, the first two nights of wise guys. Cause they happened to be open mic nights in yeah. Vegas. Cause at this point you're just getting your name. And then, there. and then I thought I was going to go do Phoenix and, and Albuquerque. Right. And, and then Are head you on to, out of your car at this time. Yeah. Now I was going to head on to Austin and do open mics down there. Phoenix, the week I was driving through, they had all these comedy clubs that were open, but they were doing open mics every other week, and all were doing it on the same week, and it wasn't the week I was driving through. I get to Albuquerque. To see, my brother lived there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go see my brother. They don't have anything open, so I end up going down to Austin, and they had like 10 open mics a day down there. They didn't have – there was no opportunity at that point for local talent because – even some of their established headliners were having trouble getting gigs coming off of COVID, but now it's, it's booming down there. But so I was, I was heading out of town for like, I think two months. And then I, I don't think I've been to Austin since mid COVID pre COVID something. Yeah. No, last time I was down in all, like I was down in Austin yeah, before this, we moved that's here. That's the only time I've ever been to Austin. Um, but like, it sounds like, cause we, you were telling me that, so you were saying when you were down there in Austin, is this like post-COVID or is this it was like right at the tail end? This right is at like, the tail end of COVID. I want to say. Like you've gotten back on and everything. Yeah, I want to say maybe September or October. Right. Wise Guys opened on September 7th in 2021, and I'm down in Austin, and, and I think I have. Like a few days later or something like that? Um, maybe, I, don't, I can't remember how long I stayed in Austin, but um, I know I had a, a paid, my first paid gig was coming up in October, and I want right. to say it was towards the end or the yeah. fourth week in October. And so I had to be back by October. I, I could have been gone two weeks. I could have been gone a month. I, right. just, I was living in my car. It all runs together. Yeah. But um, I came back, I, and Nick and I, we just started clicking. Every time we'd see each other after that, we'd call each other. He, he started saying, Chuck's my spirit animal. We always clicked. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he just eventually he had a, an opening, the, the house that he lives in. They needed a roommate, and he was asking me like six months before, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm, I'm living in my car. I didn't know if I wanted to live with anybody." And yeah, and by the end of that six months, I was, I actually enjoyed living in my car for four years, but the last six or seven months of it, I started hating it. And it was like, was that at the same time that you got the invite to go live at that place? Yeah, I, like I'd the, actually. Like does the invite come and then the hate for I'd the car ha- starts showing up? Or what? I had the hate for the car. Well, it was always by choice to a degree, and yeah. then gas prices got so high, I realized I don't have a choice but to live in this thing anymore, and I was not enjoying it anymore. Yeah, and then I hurt my back, um, at, to where I couldn't drive DoorDash, and I was like, I've got to get a place to stay, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and a regular job, and I ended up in a weekly hotel for a while that I was really liking. And he was like, "Bro, we got this spot open." And I was like, "No, I like this this hotel too much, and mm-hmm. I like having my own space." And he said, "Well, just come over here and hang out." And uh, I went to his house that night, and he said, "Go up and look at the rooms." And I, and he's salesman, and yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I went funneling you in, bro. And the rooms were real nice, but the thing that got me was it's so weird. I came downstairs from looking at the rooms and I noticed there's a 
picture of me on the damn wall. And he didn't put it there for that. It happened to be there. I, I was on a podcast that his last roommate had done, and they right. would, and they just and there was a few pictures left around from when his old roommate had those pictures up. Yeah, and uh, and it was like he got my picture on. It's like I was a little scared moving in because I was like, we could be like matches and gasoline. Yeah, and we kind of are, but um, yeah, it was as it, as it relates to home and and keeping peace in the home is it's not no just because we both have a propensity for getting into trouble and it's multiplied we'll because egg, we'll yeah. egg each other on it's and, just you two out and out in public just someone's gonna get a misdemeanor by the end of the night or what like uh, we should have probably before yeah like <laughs> yeah i'm I, and i probably would have anyway like there was a recent pool party and mm -hmm. i end up naked in the pool I saw that picture. And yeah. <laughs> that you posted and blocked out. Yeah, and I, I probably would have anyway, but not but without Nick being like, dude, just do it. Like right. it, yeah, it was He's your enabler. For to, yeah, shit. I do a lot of even when he's not there, I do a lot, so much stupid like Right. Yeah, stuff people were laughing. I'm sure if I ever got big that there will be comics coming out of the woodwork that were laughing their asses off the, at the time and at some future point person. we'll be like and he pulled out his nuts in front of me. And, yeah. <laughs> you laughed at them at the time, bitch. What the fuck are you on about? You asked me to do it, motherfucker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I hope that doesn't happen. But so Nick's like living the right from what your account is like Nick's kind of like living the comedian life. Uh, but his marketing for his Instagram is 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 shit. Um, Nick is Nick is so. Yeah, it, it, we're both like this to a degree, I think. Um, like, in the dark night, we, uh, the Joker says, I don't plan anything. I just do stuff. And yeah. It's like. And you all just look at each other and just wonder twin activate. Oh, my like, goodness. Yeah, up. but it's like, <laughs> I do plan stuff to a degree. Like, right. I whore myself on social media yeah, yeah, yeah. really bad. I, I didn't even have an Instagram account before I started doing comedy. And I was yeah. like, okay, I guess I got to have this. Right. But, um like yeah there's things i take seriously i know i've got to make money so i'll show up to work on time but i try not to be you know and i, I go to open mics but regularly. the rest of the time is just wide open for bullshit yeah or? but it, the open mics are because i want like there's been nights that it's like oh for fuck it i'm not going to this open mic because i'm tired or nights that i wasn't going to open mic but uh, fuck it let's i try i don't like to live too planned but it, as far as like we just always in comedy i always i always have been since i was a kid mm -hmm. it was like i was always in trouble at school for making jokes and taking them too far yeah um i just and i couldn't help myself i had to it's like i don't have a choice like this is way toned down me like well, this is like this is chilled out you right now yeah yeah like i love talking serious about comedy but it, it's yeah usually like yeah, it's it's and I say horrible shit all the time. It's like almost. Mic still on, by the way. Is, is the this mic's... mine? Yeah, look at the look at the switch still on. Am I not cool. coming, no, coming through? Through, I'm just okay. making sure it's not ambient through my mic for some reason. Oh, okay. I'm trying to give it like at that yellow. Gotcha. And it does it, it, it's your it's mic's not coming through? No, that's the desktop audio. Oh, okay, okay. That, if we go to like the internet for anything. And, okay, and whatnot. gotcha. So that's, that's what that audio is now, because like. Oh yeah, I saw yeah, that. So, yeah, we're good. We're good. Yeah, I just, I just my producer paranoia is just showing up right now for a second. Yeah. But, but yeah, so you, 
I, I can kind of appreciate that as someone like I could never structure. I could write out actually like I could tell you what I do every minute of every 14 days uh -huh. typically. But what I think I've learned is that I need to have at least an idea of what this day is normally for. And yeah. go from there. Well, even when you're structured, it's just like always it's, being in it's comedy. It's got to be mode. just loose enough to where like I don't have to do a specific task yeah. at this time. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like Sundays, Sundays are either days off and I could do like editing work for content or I'm recording like three DMs and a tail. And then most Sundays, at least in terms of the old system, I might be going to Friday nights instead now. But in any case, like Sundays, okay, I can go to Midway at six. Like I can end my night doing stand up at Midway, hanging out with comics, go to Greenhouse afterwards or whatnot. And, you know, make, make, make my bones of that. And then that would be Sunday. And then Monday could end up being like a work day. I think I'd do Alliance, but that would, that's, again, it's all about to change. Tuesdays, I don't do the wise guys at all for my own reasons. It's just too much. It's what I'm, this long story short, but like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like, and it all repeats. Yeah. So like Wednesday is like personal night, Thursday's day and night, Friday is like D and D or streaming now or something like that. And then Saturday is like a day off. Yeah. That actually doesn't have anything. So like that's the idea of them, but getting so structured on i need to get this task done like this night yeah that almost puts too much pressure into my like probably adhd brain and i just i'll get everything else done but that thing. when i see you when i even talk about living comedy i'm not even talking about the structure i just happen to not be a structured person well you were saying about being in school and always like keep not running your mouth right yeah yeah i i think it's always i don't know what it goes back to but it, it, this is not a bit I, I i think it has something to do with being raped as a child and just right. like having all kinds of just fucked up shit in my head and I think that's probably when it became the coping mechanism, even though that's yeah. never what it's felt like. But it's, yeah, I... Um, it's more subconscious, unconscious. Kind yeah, of yeah. And I was like, one, one, I, one I remember um, was a female babysitter that was... Mm. It was... Aggressive. No, it was physically enjoyable. Right. And at first, <laughs> it was just molestation, but the last time it was under threat when I was getting all right. fucked up in my head about when I don't want to keep, but I've also had all these crazy nightmares my whole life. Uh -huh. And I, I, in therapy, I've been told you were molested by a man at some point and don't remember it. Let's uncover this shit. But it happened to be my, the same female babysitter. No, no, or, no, or, no. Or I, I, I always had memories of that. Okay. Um, okay. But, but okay, so, so was this uncovering actually like a true assumption by this guy? It it was uh like like keep keep going. With well, the story she was she was saying yeah you've she, been yeah. she was really good at uncovering things, but she happened to be uh, my third wife's therapist who mm. was coming unraveled at the time from a similar situation that she was having like flashbacks and shit. Is your third wife having the flashbacks or yeah? And okay. she but and so this particular therapist she was really good at uncovering shit. Mm -hmm. But she was only good at making. She didn't fix shit. She just made it aware, made it revealed it to you. She yeah, she could reveal shit, but she wasn't good at fixing it. And and since I've talked to other people, like like my son in law, like holy shit, that was your therapist. She was my therapist when I was young in juvenile justice, and she was fucked up. And <laughs> I did some research on her. She's lost her license a couple times for some fucked up shit. So she's good at uncovering shit. Oh, that's crap. Um. But I remember in the moment, she was like, well, we need to do some work so you can remember what happened to you. And I was like, why? So you can make me like her? 
like by this time my third wife was not sane anymore it was like it wasn't um i was like i i don't want to be like her all you did was make shit worse yeah and and at that point i i quit seeing her all together um and realized therapy legitimately is not for me but I, i i've got i just don't know what uncovering the memory really accomplishes at this point i'm pretty sure I have some ideas of who it probably was. Right. I'm pretty sure I know where it happened just based on nightmares, but it's like it happened. And the crazy, I wouldn't go back and undo it. It's probably like I'm happier right now than I think I've ever been. Yeah. And it's like, why would I undo what made The other thing I didn't like was um, this lady was um, semi-religious and she um she wanted she thought me being a swinger was a problem okay and it was like no bitch that's like are you that's like you trying to cure somebody who's gay like i'm not this is not a problem yeah. this is me like i remember when i finally acknowledged that it was like oh this is what it feels like to accept your sexuality like right. i've been fighting this my whole life cuz society told me it was wrong and yeah. i just remember being at a swing club one morning feeling guilty about what happened the night before and going why i didn't hurt anybody nobody hurt me we like it was consensual adults and this is where i'm happiest sexually Mm -hmm. so it was like group sex is bad because society says and mostly because some religions say it was just like this and I was like, I'm not going to walk that back. Like no. that, that was something that was healthy for me to realize that, um, I'm just not like, I never had problems cheating on spouses, but, that, <laughs> but I'm not monogamous. It's just, it's, my, my, my third wife and I called it emotional monogamy. Like, right. This certain things are between us. Yeah. The emotion is between us, but this other stuff is the living breathing sex toys who we also happen to relate to on Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was, that's a hell of a way to objectify a bunch of people uh, well you almost have to think of, but it was weird too because there were actual friends who were regulars that were more right. than that and that was a weird situation because it's like this is not a romantic thing but this is definitely not just a sexual thing this is like it, it's a little complicated weird area yeah, in between yeah. and uh yeah, I just therapy fucked me up, and uh, like I don't agree too much with like Jordan Peterson's politics, but his views on psychology I think are dead on. And uh, mm-hmm. well, like one of his things was like um, therapy. Genuine. Well, first of all, I didn't know the difference. I thought the difference between a psychologist and a clinical social worker was one was a master's degree and one had a doctorate. They're two completely different fields. How, how big is the difference? The difference is one is actual science based and the other has no studies to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, the, High schooler versus an actual doctorate. The, yeah, the, the LCSWs are. Um, they do have master's degrees, um, but they, and they are licensed, obviously, because right. LCSW. But um, is uh, he he described it as, it, in psychology, it's this isn't your fault, but what can you do? You you're the yeah. only one, especially in like 
molestation and rape cases. Yeah, yeah, you're the only one who can change this. You're the only one who can. You have to change the past. Take way, accountability you, for yeah. yeah, like you're. It's not your fault. This, this yeah, this person's a bastard that did this to you, but you're the only one who can take accountability for it. the 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 abuser's not going to. Yeah, and he described the social psychology as this more mother goose protect you from the world protection thing yeah and and but then he went a step further and he said not only that when you're talking about clinical psychology versus social psychology it's irrelevant when it comes to creatives and he said most people think they're creative but only about 10 percent of the population actually is and he says freudian psychology just doesn't work on creatives period he said the Jungian approach is better, and all of a sudden it went, no wonder therapy has never. I mean, I've had some breakthroughs in therapy, mm-hmm. but nothing close to what other people describe. It right. Like, and I've had some therapists who were good, some therapists who were bad, but at, at that point I was just like, yeah, therapy is not for me. And it's a cliche, and people, and I'm not one of these people that talks about, I don't have bits on stage about, oh, this is my therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, but it is therapeutic for me because most of the stuff I'm saying is true or based in truth. Yes. Or it's a combination of two different things that happen presented as one story because it's funnier that way. Yeah. Um, But like, yeah, most of my jokes, um, yeah, I I have story. uh, My newest bit is about how I met all three of my wives and they're all pretty much how it went down yeah like um in fact especially the the one about the second wife it just they it's i was having sex with this chick i met in narcotics anonymous <laughs> god damn it. it's a good I, I mean i don't usually like to tell jokes on podcasts because you can't do them like but it's a good example of the swerve and i, I want to go back to the technical yeah, stuff because yeah, yeah. the the swerve is so like in the social comedy you tell most of the time they already know the story because they were there, but they want to well, hear. Well, social comedy can just be a bunch of dudes quoting Anchorman for five yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you if know. you're telling a story, yeah. they want to hear you tell the story from your perspective of that crazy shit y'all did one yeah, night. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember I I had this idea for this bit forever, but I didn't know how to have a punchline. And so one night I just went on stage, and I said, "This is how I met my third wife." Yeah. And I told this story yeah. about now we'd actually gone on a date or two and decided we had some feelings but we hooked up pretty quick right and and uh so we have sex she's allergic to latex so so we go raw dog because that was all the excuse i needed and (laughs) and we're laying there and i'm just drifting off to sleep i mean it was a good marathon session right right, right. i was proud of myself but i'm drifting off to sleep and out of nowhere she goes oh shit i forgot to take my valtrex this is old, like, this is only people my age get that right. It's an old herpes medication. Mm-hmm. And I'm laying there going, like, I'm literally having this thought, like, this bitch just gave me herpes. Fucking damn and it. And she lets it hang in the air for, like, 10 seconds, and then she starts laughing. She was fucking with me. God. And, yeah, and, and that, it wasn't a joke, but I said, I just got to go on stage and tell do the social humor yeah. basically how I'd tell this with my my friends yeah and it got laughs and i didn't expect it to i was just like it's got to be and then i was thinking why isn't there a punchline and i went dumbass they don't need to know they shouldn't know that's how you met your third wife till the end of the joke and so that became the punchline i just I was having sex with this chick i met in narcotics and i was i tell the story and i go and that friends is how i met my third wife yeah and then i started thinking well why shouldn't it be 
all the wives. So now it starts with that. Uh, or it, I, I say, and that's how I met my third wife. And then I, um, oh, it starts actually with my second wife now. Yeah. So I'm like, I was having, I, I now I do this little thing about how people tell me I go too far. So I'm going to try and do traditional dating material tonight, like a regular comic. And then I go right into, so I was having sex with this chick I met in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And right. it just talks about it was a one night stand, but it was good. So we decided to hook up the next week. She shows up with a big old English C tattooed on the back of her right calf. Mm -hmm. And, I go, oh, that's cool. What does what's that for? And she says, stands for Chuck. And I'm like, Chuck who? And she's like, Chuck you. And I'm like, in this moment, I'm saying to myself, okay, Chuck, you gotta stop fucking with these twelve step bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, I go. So a little while later. I was having sex with this chick I met in Narcotics Anonymous right after I said I'm going to stop yeah. fucking with. And then I tell the story about the third wife. And then at the end of that, I go, that friends, I take a big pause because I at the end of the second one, I go, now I vow to myself, you really got to stop fucking with these 12-step bitches. <laughs> and I go, and that friends, and I think I'm going to give them some deep moral is how I met my last two wives. And they laugh at that. And then I go, Notice I didn't say both my wives because I've been married three times. And I go, this is the story how I met my first wife. And I go, so I was having sex with this chick I met in a 12-step meeting. <laughs> That's where I think it's going somewhere that else. Just, that, and that does that It's does the lead. swerve, and it's the same swerve turned into three jokes within well, one it's, bit. It's, it's the rule of three yeah. perverted because the third yeah. one's always supposed to be the weird one. Yeah. And because you've had two weird ones, there's and, and if you pause correctly in the bit, yeah, and have set and have clearly identified the two were first. Now the third one has to be like, so I was at a church function. Yeah, it's like got to be something, and that could get like a chuckle laugh. But like, so this other twelve step bitch I met in Vegas. Yeah, like, yeah, this, yeah and, and then I, and then I just follow because I'm like the I'm, joke is that you never learned the lesson. I'm keeping this, yeah, and I'm keeping this true to form. I'm yeah. like, no, I'm just kidding. I did meet my first wife in Narcotics Anonymous. I wasn't sober yet, but I did make sure she was a drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like. It was just, it, it's it's my favorite joke. It, it does well. It's not the joke that gets the best laughs yet, but I think at some point it could be. Yeah. And I have had other people tell me that's their favorite joke that I do, uh -huh. but it might just be because it's the newest. But right now it's my favorite, and it's the one I'm working on, and there'll be other tweaks. I'm sure. Like the Valtrex thing, I've got to change that because yeah. nobody, you gave me the note. And yeah. I, I did last time I was on stage after I said that'd be, Valtrex is a herpes medication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I delivered after the the herpes line. I said Valtrex is a, and and it occurred to me I should just be saying. Well, she, be like, she said I forgot to take my herpes medication. You could, but, you could, but then it, it goes in, it goes into that the little subtext play yeah. is is a coloring. I think that yeah. that could be. But good. it's almost too because that when I go, I think this bitch just gave me herpes. It's not really a punchline, but if you say it right, people laugh. Yeah, and that's really what I was thinking in the moment, and I don't. You don't want to repeat the word herpes. Too that's much, the thing. Basically. It's like it's herpes, herpes, and it's it's almost kind of a swerve that they don't know. Most of them don't know what Valtrex is. You could almost is. you could try out like she hasn't taken her Valtrex. I'm like, did I not take my Valtrex? Her STD medication, like yeah. STD, might be too long of a of a oh, word or something like that. Like, she, I could say she. I didn't take my STD, STD meds or something. I don't because because I'm thinking about like there, there's something you want to do inside of that moment mm -hmm. that is because you could have a very long another version that's coming into my head right now is that you actually drop the drop the did I forget to take my Valtrex 
And then just you just kind of come back to the room and just like very quietly look around and see who's got the knowing eyes or who has the curious eyes. Yeah, there's always a couple like at Wise Guys. There's always a couple giggles. So I was like, okay, I know these people. Some get people know what's going but on. But you're here. talking out of like seventy to hundred people on an open yeah. mic night. Yeah, it's like three people are giggling at that. That yeah, yeah. Get what but it this is this where you this is where I think you could fig you can figure out very much if you say the did I just forget my vowel tracks and then you look around and you almost let the audience decide what's the what's sort of this tag moment that you what needs have. to be explained like i am now laying you know it's like if it's if, if this is where this is where i love trying to figure it out like what works here is like you go from like the silent pause you know i am now laying there wondering if this woman has given me herpes yeah you know just like that dry like streamline of consciousness or something like that and that's more like probably like my style like i have herpes now <laughs> like yeah, like something but, like that would be like because instead of like the that's herpes meds for those of you not paying attention so i am now because then you'd have to extend yeah. out between the two herpes yeah words, the way i delivered it last time was i just delivered i think this bitch just gave me herpes and i was mm -hmm. like for those of you who aren't in your 50s valtrex is an old herpes medication and yeah but it it and i know it's in, by the time i say i think this bitch just gave me herpes if i let it sink in People do put it together and go, oh, that must be a hurt. Do they laugh at it, though? Like, if they put yeah. it together, do they laugh? Is yeah. the question. Yeah. Then. But it, it doesn't get the laugh that it, it could if it if they knew what that was. And it's like, how how do I convey that without saying the word herpes twice? Yeah. Unless, I, yeah, unless there's some other popular medication that everybody knows about for herpes now that I could just substitute that. But Yeah. There, there used to just be Valtrex You could change the sexual drug. The sex, the sexual, the STD and the drug, maybe. Yeah, it could like be. AIDS or something like that. Yeah, it could be. Uh, you are gay, so it, it could be. <laughs> could be. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Is AZT still a thing for the AIDS? Maybe. I don't know how many people would know about that. That would be another thing to try out. Would just literally yeah. be like changing the drug STD combo. I forgot or to take my STD. I think this bitch just gave me HIV. <laughs> I like the, I like the herpes though because the hard consonant. Yes, yes, the hard consonants are. I still... have herpes now. Like, yeah, <laughs> herpes is funnier than. I just thought of the dumbest thing you could do. Herpes like, is a funnier word than AIDS. It just sounds funny. I just, I'm just thinking of like she just says something stupid like I didn't take my birth control, I didn't take my Flintstone vitamins today, and then your reaction is this bitch just gave me herpes. <laughs> it could be something. <laughs> something yeah, you so could stupid. do something that silly like yeah. It's just silly stupid. Just, yeah. I don't know if that would ever work, but. It's, I didn't take my Flintstone vitamin today. Yeah. I have herpes. Like, yeah, I, that whole thing was so the whole, but the whole so, God, I'm so disjointed. But the whole social comedy, where it's like, we used to tell that story around the poker table to yeah. friends, like, oh, when we first met, this is what happened. This is what yeah. she did to me, and uh, um, yeah, then. But it's 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 different when you go on stage. You have to deliver the sequence of events out of order, mm -hmm. to some degree, or combine. And because well, you're this is where I said the word world building earlier is that you sort of have to create something that the other that the the now new friends are being made a part of the ins, the the part of the joke. They're now yeah. they'd have to be brought inside that joke, yeah. which involves giving the context or alluding yeah. to the context. Well, as and I, you I embellish it. stuff too. There's jokes I have that didn't really happen. It's just yeah. most of what I say is but there's even the shit that's true. It's like I'm telling this joke about, you know, my friend Leroy who thinks masturbation's a homo and 
think about it. And I did big deep voice and and he did pretty much say when I was like, bro, that makes no sense. He was like, think about it. It was just this casual. Think about it. He's when, just fucking with when you. When you masturbate, you're getting sexual pleasure from a male hand, and that's a homosexual act. It's pretty and I, gay. Like, and I just went, well, then I guess I'm gay. But that was the real conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, it's a little <laughs> yeah, embellished yeah. on stage, like, well, well, I'm gonna buy a pride flag and stay fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's that part never happened about like, well, you know, Leroy, I'm gay, and he's like, uh, um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean. Well, to that's funnier. You. Is like, yeah, that's yeah. Like, it's, it's like it's like a, yeah. it's like a challenge. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't. To, like, the, yeah. well, the fuck off line is like, well, I guess I'm gay then, or something. Yeah. Like well, and one of the best parts didn't happen. He, you know, he apologized. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't know you were gay. And I go, yeah, neither did I until you told me that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's my favorite part of the joke, but it did not happen. <laughs> we all learned something here today. Like, yeah, yeah. That's fucking great. Yeah, there's a follow-up joke to it that none of it happened at all. Because I, I remember being nervous about telling that the first time on stage because mm -hmm. I thought I might offend some of the gay local comics. But I was like, I got to go do this. But then you get in your head about the conversations that might happen. Yeah, and like this, the reactions or something like that? Yeah, this funny scenario played out, like what could happen with me and another comic and, mm -hmm. and what if we were actually good friends that had been on the road. And, and I was like, and it was this hilarious scenario. And I thought... Man, it's too bad none of that happened because that would be a good joke. And I'm like, dumbass, it's still a joke. Yeah. Because it didn't. I was so used to telling true stories. So, yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, the idea of he was offended and you said fabulous. And I'm obviously not telling it right, but it, you said fabulous because it's a stereotype. And it eventually tells me, you know, um, what, you know, when you use that word, it's homophobic. And I'm going, now I'm I'm pissed. I'm like, you know, when someone like me says it's homophobic, what the saying fuck? the word fabulous? Yeah, because it's the, the other the, f word. It, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, it wasn't faggot. It was fabulous. Okay, but I, I say all the words just so you guys. Know. <laughs> I say all the words on stage depending on the venue. Venue, but um, no, no, it was because the end of the one joke says I'm gonna buy a pride flag and stay fabulous. Right, and then when I go on to the next joke, which is really just a tag to the first joke because it doesn't work alone. It's like. Yeah. My gay friend got mad at me the first time I told that joke. I didn't get it because he knows Leroy. He knows it's a true story. And so uh -huh. you use the word fabulous, and that's a stereotype. And it's like, right. yeah, no, motherfucker, that's why I said it. And then he's, I said, besides, you say it all the time. He goes, yeah, but when I say it, it's funny because I'm gay. When someone like you says it, it's homophobic. And it ends is just like someone like me. What the fuck, bro? We've known each other for years. We, we've been on the road together. We stay in the same hotel room. I'm obviously telling it much faster. We we even slept in the same bed. Hell, I've showered in front of you at the gym. What I gotta do? Suck your dick to prove I'm not homophobic? And then I just pause and I go, man, I ain't falling for that shit twice. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like that epiphany, like, hey, yeah. dumbass, just because all your other jokes have been based in truth yeah. doesn't mean this well, one I, has to I, I think that's where... I think that's where certain paths inside of comedy feel like they can be you, you tell true stories and you figure out how to make the stories funny for an audience. Yeah. I.e. strangers basically. And then eventually you might become creative or practice enough in the craft to take random things or just make a story that's funny. If that makes yeah. sense. Like get get much more purely creative instead of like ten percent creative on a real story and turning like a funny story into an actually funny performance a bit. And then eventually you could just, you know, get 100% creative with, like, just, like, an idea or just look at a hat and then turn it into a whole damn thing. Yeah. I mean, um, um, Oh, Hello, the Broadway show or whatnot that John Mulaney um, and 
let's say Nick, the guy, two guys that are on Big Mouth, basically. Oh, okay, yeah. They they basically apparently were they're at they're in New York somewhere, like at like a bookstore, and they saw these two older guys like bickering over, maybe been like an old older couple, but just two old guys bickering over this Alan Alda like biography book or whatnot. Uh-huh. And they just took that, created two like comical character versions of these older men that are like, you know, old Jews that yeah. just live together. They're not gay. They just happen to be just two bachelors in their 80s living together in Manhattan or something. And they just turned that into a full like hour, hour and a half long Broadway production. Wow. That's just the two of them. It's just two characters. Yeah. And then one guy that like brings a prop in. And that's the whole show. It's just the two of that's them. That's cool. And it's one of it's one of my favorite things that I've seen in terms of performance because it's two comics, two stand up comics, comedians or whatnot. Like John Mulaney is like huge. Um and then they end up just creating this whole different story of these two characters that's just riddled with hilarious props, bits, movements, commentary, shit like that. It's fucking it, it's one of my favorite things I've I've I, it's one of the things that I have shared with people continuously like robin williams live on broadway Mm -hmm. uh eddie is her dressed to kill and oh hello are like probably the top three things that i've literally having guests at my house and like we're watching this thing i'm gonna have to i've never even heard of oh hello before you it's fantastic i'm gonna check that out yeah it's weird too that it was based on them arguing about alan alda because yeah because alan alda is like a running bit inside of it inside well and that was production alan alda was the whole thing with mash when i was yeah that was one of my favorite tv shows and i wanted to be him just being that little comedian kid yeah always smart and i felt i think the same way about being forced to go to school right the way he felt about being drafted forced into to the, go to the army War yeah and, and it was yeah and i just some of the you just needed to know how to make martinis and in yeah. iss basically like, yeah. some of the writing that was in that show i mean the comedy might be a little outdated by today's standards but it was so genius at the time yeah. probably it still is and it was and the way um like if you watch now, the, 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 they didn't want to do a laugh track for that show because they thought yeah. it was so cheesy and they were forced to. But they came to a compromise that there was never a laugh track in the ER, right? Um, even if they were joking, um, but there would be. But now, when you get it on streaming platforms, um, because the creators were so against it, be there's no laugh track in it at all. How does it hit with no laugh track? I think it's way better, but it, it's weird now because a lot of I think uh, Big Bang Theory was one of the last sitcoms to actually use one, because mm-hmm. a lot of and I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. But I, I, I want to understand a lot of sitcoms just don't use them anymore anyway. Laugh tracks, right? Yeah, now. yeah. There's something I was. I remember when I was watching Jeff Dunham argue with myself, his first big special that blew him up, mm-hmm. and and there was two versions that I saw on Comedy Central. One of them was probably like ten o'clock at night or something like that. Like kids that are laid up might see it, and it was good. It was funny. And then I watched probably like a 1 a.m. version of it or something like that, where it was much longer and had way more material from that special in it. And I remember laughing hard at the second one, but also like realizing that like or feeling like the laugh track placement was different somehow. Oh, shit. And it was weird. I was like, wait. Or maybe even later on, like I watched it again, like later on. And I was laughing at parts, but there's no laugh track occurring. And I was like, what? It was just like a weird anomaly inside yeah. of like that special because I watched that special several times, but it was weird how the laugh track 
can just like kind of facilitate you laughing mm-hmm. as well at a joke that may not have earned it. Yeah, and know? I think that's a lot of what the laugh track. If you look at some of those old shows, yeah, they they're anchoring on them hard. They weren't going to get many laughs without even a lot of new sitcoms that had it mm-hmm. recently. It's like. I watch them and I'm like, I, I'll be at my mom's house and she'll be watching. I'll be like, this show with mom is nothing funny in this show. It's have all you heard or have you heard the analysis that um, Ross in Friends is a is a psychopath? If you take away the laugh track, I haven't, but I was never a fan of Friends. Like I yeah. only ever watched that when I had to. Um, and it's weird because someone like that lives my lifestyle, you would think would be all about the, but it was just like this is just. The little bit that's about it, I knew it was Did like. Did you prefer Seinfeld over everybody friends, fucks or? everybody else? They just switch who they're involved with romantically, right. and I was like, that's I don't know, that's kind of lame. Uh, Seinfeld, I, I I'm always resistant to stuff that is mainstream. Seinfeld, I didn't appreciate it. So you're a hipster by nature, basically. I, oh, I hate that word. But I know. Probably. Me too. I, I'm I, the same thing. I have an aversion thing. to stuff that's popular. I think. Uh, it's like anti-zeitgeist basically yeah i'm just i'm not a mainstream type of dude but then sometimes i realize something is really good that happens like seinfeld i really started to appreciate it when i started watching some reruns and went oh this is actually a really good show this is this is genius but um yeah when it's hot you can't go near. well there's this like i had played poker since i was a little kid like five card draw my cousins taught me i was like just never never seriously but i always played it and i always enjoyed it and i remember when the big online poker craze hit yeah i was like fuck that like i I had friends trying to get me to oh go on poker stars and play and i was like yo fuck that that that's lame that's everybody's doing it now and and i played texas hold'em before and thought it was a fun party game i didn't realize it was a serious form of poker yeah but then when i realized it was and and how they actually decided the world series i was still like eh, i'm i'm not um and hold'em's not the most skilled version of the most skilled versions are never popular popular versions are the ones where somebody who's easily digestible well it's, it's where somebody who can get lucky who's not good at it mm-hmm. because that's what people are going to gravitate you don't play a game that you can long story short i eventually started playing online and became professional poker player is technically the right term because it became my only job at one point yeah. but i would call it semi-pro because i had my bills down to where i could make enough to just get by yeah and it it i got really good so there's like um People think of um, uh, Seven Stud High Low as this game where your low hand has to be eight or better, but that's actually called uh, eight or better. The true high low, the low hand wins no matter how low it is, and that is a game that a skilled player can win almost every time. Um, Five Card Stud is a game that a skilled player can win almost every time, and it's why those games are almost non-existent now because it, the game's solved the, well the way? shitty player can there's enough there's enough mathematical component that a, a player who knows what they're doing can literally almost never lose you're still going to have losing because i know there's there's got to be more depth to it but like is card counting inside of that game basically at, at its high skill form or is it just reading it's that there are so 
it's it's reading the opponent it's knowing what's showing you can sometimes literally know you have the best hand or right uh, especially in like five card stud where you have one down and four eventually end up face up um like in, okay yeah because with... tech because in texas it's like it's there's you know three the turn the river yeah pool five so that that part of five cards that is the same are you just having five cards in your hand or how is no that... the, the 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 stud is you get a card face down mm -hmm. and there's five and they come one by one you have one card and, and you don't have community cards so you there's literally less options because you can look if the best player he can if the best hand this guy can have is a straight and you've got a flush or if he's drawing to a straight and so you, you have so so just to break this down for those that don't know what five card stud is which is me right now <laughs> So you have one card in your hand, and then you're watching a full five cards get revealed on the board? Yeah, but in stud, all your cards are your own. So there is no board. Everybody gets their own set of cards. So, but you can see a certain amount of your opponent's cards. So the stud games... So there's no center set of... No community cards? That's the There's no community thing. cards. So in Texas, but you, them, can, you have two cards that are yours, and then you have the five cards. Yeah, Hold'em is a stud variation where there's community cards, and you have two in and your hand. And everyone's playing off of what they have it, versus what is on Yeah, Hold'em is a variation of seven-card stud where you have yeah. the two down cards in your hand that mm -hmm. nobody else can see and the five community cards. But they, and then everyone reacts to that. But because you have community cards, it makes it more volatile, and there's it's yeah. a lot funner. It definitely yeah. is, but stud, stud games are less popular Because they're so mathematically the solved in a way. You a good it's it's harder. Bad players don't know they're bad players. Like um, so in poker, for instance, ten percent of players are winning players roughly, mm -hmm. but only about five percent can win substantially. The right. the the other five percent are barely above that break even mark. But mm -hmm. if you ask most hold'em players, because they don't track their stats, most especially men, most men who play hold'em think they're really good at it mm -hmm. and and most of the time they're not like obviously at least 90 percent of the time they're not you rely on players that think they're good and you also rely on recreational players that know they're recreational players and they're just having fun those yeah. are it's like for them okay i can and i was playing at real low level so it's like i can spend 50 dollars going out to a movie and doing something else tonight or i can go play hold them and lose 50 dollars or lose a hundred dollars whatever they're willing to yeah lose. they're entertainment basically i had a buddy he was so he this dude was brilliant his name was uh tom fitz he's dead now but uh he loved poker and a dude had an iq that was above 140 and he was somebody who he could be disciplined when he wanted to but he was a losing poker player and he knew it and he hosted games at his house he knew he loved the games and i was like tommy you could make money doing this why don't you just learn the pot odds and the psychology and he said because he said i'm a gambling addict and uh and he had money mm -hmm. and i was like yo that's not good bro like as your <laughs> friend i gotta take because you know yeah he, at this point i was just supplementing my money locally before i moved to the las vegas area but he was he was like i'm a gambling addict and i'm like bro i can't he said no you don't understand he said i'm a gambling addict but for me it's the thrill of winning or losing real money mm -hmm. he said the, he said i'm weird the amount doesn't matter he said i can play the penny tables online and get the same rush as if i'm playing some high stakes shit. so yeah. these little hundred dollar buy-in games at my house a hundred dollars is nothing to me or if i lose 300 a night it doesn't matter to me it's the rush of and and so 
I used he'd had tells like when he would bluff, he would always just rub his finger, his arm with his finger, and look away. But the guy was brilliant, and he enjoyed the challenge. He wasn't trying to become a winning player, but he enjoyed the challenge of beating people who were better than him too. It's I almost I was waiting for him to say something like he doesn't want the magic of his ignorance to like that. That might have been part of know. it because. One thing I didn't understand, and I had professional poker players tell me, is when you move into doing this full-time, you're not going to love it anymore. It's going to be maybe better than a real job, but it will be a job. And I didn't believe that, and it was. And it was like, it was, I thought that was like, comedy was my calling when I finally decided to do that. It's like, oh, this is like, I'm literally a comedian first, as much as I hate to say this, because it's not really the person I want to be. But when I get real honest with myself, because I like to say I'm a grandfather first. Right. I'm not. I'm a comedian first. There's been, <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> there's been, I, I love, my, like, I would die for my grandkids, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a second thought. But at the same time, there's been nights that it's like, oh, I've got a show booked this night, so we can't do GG Day this week is what they call it. And yeah. it's like, I, I prioritize comedy. If I'm just honest about who I really am based on my actions, I'm I'm a comic first. And, yeah. and I just, but the, the, the Tom story was cool. I don't know. I don't know if anybody is watching this because they want to hear about comedy gives a shit. But one night, we used to have these tournaments at his house and then we'd mm -hmm. play cash games after. Some nights we'd just do cash nights. I don't remember what night this was. It doesn't even matter. Should have just cut the fat out of that. Like you cut the fat out of jokes, but we're playing and it would always come down to me and Tom at the end. Cause I was usually the best player there and he was usually the player with the deepest pockets. So we could just keep anteing back in or what? Yeah. We, yeah. And so, and, and they, it was like a low buy-in cash game. It was right. like, you could buy in for $25 every yeah. time you went broker. It might've been 50. I think it was 25, but at the end of the night, we're both sitting there with three, about $300 in front of us, right. which was to me, I needed to make, at that time, about $300 a month playing poker, which you should never rely on, especially in volatile forms like Hold'em. Yeah. Um, I, you are going to have, anybody who says they never have a losing month is lying. It just, or they don't play poker much. Mm -hmm. But um, I was literally having to make about 300 bucks a month. And, and part of that was I'd been getting lucky for a while. I, I wasn't making the money to cover my expenses otherwise. And yeah. I had... $300 in front of me that night, probably 250 275 hadn't been mine at the beginning of the night. And so my month is covered. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and I've told you about this telly gots where he would just scratch his arm real mm -hmm. quick with his finger and, and look away. And looking away is a common tell when people bluff. Yeah. And Tom, at this point, knew he had a tell. Um, and we're just playing heads up. It's Texas Hold'em. I have two garbage hands, or two garbage ca cards in my hand. I missed the flop. Um, Tom bets big. And so I move all, and he did that. I move all in knowing that he has to fold. There's no other, cause even though he can afford to lose, he doesn't like to lose. Yeah. He will fold. Um, and so I move all in thinking he's, and he snapped calls. I mean, he just instantly called and I, I instantly knew what happened over. He had figured out the tell and he, he was waiting to reverse it on me. It was so beautiful. Oh. And usually something like that stings for, you know it's going to be funny in the future. But he, well, he was your friend, right? Yeah, but usually something like that, you know it's, it's even if it's your friend, it, you know it's going to be funny a few weeks from now. Yeah. But it hurts and it stings in the moment. And especially it should have because it was 
it was money. Like my month is made yeah, from this exactly. one, no, was, one night. It was, it was like bread. It was yeah. It was, it was like yeah. I'm cool. Yeah, all I got to do is not lose a lot for the rest of the month. Which yeah, and, and, and but it was so beautiful the way he, I started laughing in that moment because it was you knew he was, figured it out, and I was so happy for him that yeah. he had figured it out because it was he he by this point he knew it was there and he didn't know what it was. Yeah, and I wasn't gonna tell him, and he wouldn't have wanted me to tell him anyway. No, that's that's but that's the oh, part of the yeah, sport. He took that's me part for, of the game. He took me for because not by by the, even though I did only started with probably twenty five or fifty whatever the buy in was, by this point and that's my money. You want it? That's my money. Yeah. He just took three hundred dollars from me in one hand, and that, you know, for a real pro like so. That's why I only ever called myself semi pro even when I was doing it full time. Yeah, because it was like for a real pro that that's nothing you know yeah. but for me three hundred dollars was significant. No, it, it was a, that's, like what year was that? That would have been. Um, Sometime in the early two, it would probably been right around 2010. 20, yeah. He died in like 20. I'm only asking that because I still have the digital notes when I was running what the bills were going to be for a three way split on a three bedroom apartment. Oh yeah. And I remember, and I and I've shown this to like friend, like my friend in Chicago who lives in Chicago, fucking costs of living, and you hear about New York stuff, and it was costing each. I think the total for. Let me think about this. I think it was costing us four hundred a piece or less a month, yeah, for a three bedroom in Central Florida. Yeah, I, I, when I moved to the Las Vegas area, we moved. So you yeah. only so like three hundred bucks right right there takes care of almost my entire rent. Yeah, it, yeah, it was and it was significant, and that's, and that's around like 2013, 2014. Yeah, so like. You know, yeah, I was when we moved to the Las Vegas area, we moved intentionally to Pahrump because um, that's where this well, it's in Vegas, too. But the swing community we associated with was in Pahrump. Right. Um, but also the cost of living was so much lower in Pahrump than Vegas. I have to ask the question. Are you a comic first, a grandpa second and a swinger third? Like, what's your um, value hierarchy here? Yeah, if it, OK, this is the weird part. If you put a gun to my head and said die for comedy, fuck you. Yeah, no, unless you said stop doing it, but if it yeah. was like die or one of your grandkids is gonna die, it wouldn't even be. A, it would be yeah, a yeah, second yeah, yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as being a swinger, and it's kind of funny because I've is that much more of just a nature part of you thing? So it's, yeah, it's, it's, not, even it's, it's, it's not even it's, like a belief that you fight for or die. No, for. it's kind of weird too because like even as swingers, people and I know I have this reputation because I lean into it on stage now. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm just wild at parties anyway, like, yeah. uh, to the point that there's no comic that wants to see me drunk or fucked up in any regard because it's like, literally, we don't keep up with this motherfucker when he's sober. Right. I would be a, a, a dumpster fire fucked up. Like, it wouldn't be fun anymore. And I think I'm too much for the, the comics that are fucked up, even sometimes when I'm not, you know, just being me. But are you, we didn't swing a lot. It would be like probably an average of three four times a year and right. part of that for us was just a quarterly swing after the final yeah and it wasn't like on, yeah like, some some years like there were years that we probably didn't at all or once or twice and yeah, there yeah. other years that maybe close to 20 times because we had a regular you know person or persons that we were interacting with that lived close but it was it was we wanted it to always have a little bit of a, a taboo aspect for like we wanted it to still it's be it's rare enough that it's special we wanted it to still be intense right and, and and 
a, a lot of swingers are so all in with it. It's all they do. And we didn't want to ruin our relation, the emotional part of our relationship either. Yeah. So it was kind of like a treat, but it was one. And believe it or not, swingers are most, not all of them, but most of us are selective. It's like, you, and, and that's a whole, like, it's not just, am I attracted to you? Are you attracted to me? It's right. like, is she attracted to her husband? Am I attracted to the wife? Are they both attracted yeah. to us? Is this, you know, it doesn't work if one of you is taking well, it, It's a, taking pro- one it's for a the process. Team. You're not, it's not as, it's not as straightforward and as easy as, as plebs as the public might think it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, but it, it, um, and, and she, I, my family, um, would not have liked the idea, but I didn't have a problem with people knowing, but she definitely did not want her family to know. So it was also, we didn't do anything locally unless it was a friend who wasn't in that community. Did y'all have to usually like travel out of town? Well, that's where we started doing it was when we'd go, we, when we first started dipping our toes in, it was, um, and what were you doing at this time? Cause like you're how old right now with grandkids? I'm 51. I have so you're 50, six grandkids, 51, six grandkids. My and oldest it, is nine. What the fuck were you doing? Cause you only started doing comedy like two years ago. So like, what the fuck were you doing at the time with, was this your first wife? This swing? is my third wife. We, which which, were, which the, wife are we talking about with that swinging? The occurring? third wife was where the, the, where the swinging was. The first occurring. two went just 12 step bitches. Like, yeah. <laughs> the first two marriages, um, the first one almost went there. We had plans to go there. Um, but there's a difference and there's a huge difference between a swinger and a cheater. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out my first wife was not a swinger. She was a cheater. <laughs> So, so, lie to me well what really happened was this is the honest truth of the situation with my first wife was we we had fantasies about going there and i think a lot of couples do fantasize about that in a healthy way but they're never going to pull the trigger right and and i have heard swingers tell people everybody should and i'm like no you shouldn't it will either make your marriage better or destroy it but yeah. it's, it's not it's it, a coin flip but if you're not if that is not you I, to me it's literally like when if somebody is gay mm-hmm. you're just gay you didn't decide to do that yeah. it was so i would so the first marriage we t- talked about going and i had a best friend who was living with us and um and we were all drug addicts none of us knew it at the time but yeah. um, uh, and uh i had a best friend who was living with us and we decided we maybe want to bring him in and right. we'd hit other people up before who just weren't down for it. Right. Uh, male and female. But, um, we're like, okay. So I told him, Hey, this, and he was down with it and there were plans to move forward. And, um, they end up doing it on there. He, he went in there. She was drunk one night. He was drunk. He walked into our room one night and just started doing stuff with her. And at first she was uncomfortable, and eventually she was into it. But the the reality of that marriage was, we were all very unhealthy people, um, in in that midst of active addiction. I was an asshole.